Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the lifetimes and death of shortwave radio legend and author of Behold a Pale Horse, William Cooper. At a certain point, he decided that he was going to become a martyr, and he was going to duke it out with the feds, hopefully. And they were going to come up and, you know, he was, he was going to shoot it out with them. Hey, it's getting close. David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech, is coming to Toronto October 18th, 19th, and 20th to present his shocking reversals. And you can meet David and hear this amazing discovery for yourself at Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, 40 Donlins Avenue, right across from the Donlins subway station. On Thursday, October the 18th, you'll hear the reverse speech of politicians. That's 7 to 9 p.m., just $10 at the door. Then, Friday, October 19th, the reverse speech of hitmen, mobsters, and serial killers, 7 to 9 p.m., just $10 at the door. Finally, Saturday, October 20, I'll be hosting as David solves the JFK assassination using reverse speech, 2 to 5 p.m., 2 to 5 p.m., $15 at the door. David John Oates, the discoverer of reverse speech, as heard on Coast to Coast AM and The Conspiracy Show, October 18th, 19th, and 20th, Metamorphosis Greek Orthodox Church, 40 Donlands Avenue in Toronto. For more information, go to reversespeech.com. 
a presentation of crime and trauma scene cleaners. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Author Mark Jacobson is here. He has a remarkable new book about William Cooper called Pale Horse Rider, and Mark is standing by. First, let me get a few shout-outs in here. Hi, Richard. Just to let you know, I'm an avid listener from South Wales in the United Kingdom. Really enjoy your shows, and it's great now to have two podcasts from you. Three, if you include The Conspiracy Show, my weekly radio program, uh, which is also available as a podcast, and of course, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. I also run my own website, he says, for the local weather here. If you visit the site, I have a webcam which is live so you can see the view of the weather. It does rain a lot here. Keep up the excellent shows. Regards, Phil Samuel. Well, thank you, Phil. Uh, Next one. Hello, my husband Patrick and I, Rachel, absolutely love both your podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited and Conspiracy Show. We listen every night that you podcast. We never miss a show, even when we go camping. We make sure we download them so we can join in the fun. We live in Spokane, Washington. I originally found your show on Amazon. Then I thought, I wonder if he has any podcasts, and the rest is history. You are by far the best interviewer and always have on great guests. Thank you for your amazing work. Well, thank you, Rachel, and uh, also your husband, Patrick. Uh, Hi, Richard. My name is Peter Auditor, and I'm an avid listener to all your podcasts. I live in Mannering Park in New South Wales, Australia. I'm a traveling salesman. Your podcasts keep me alert and safe behind the wheel whilst I make my long trips between customers, and it goes very well with coffee. As a free thinker, I really enjoy your content. Whether I agree with it or not, I still find your shows provocative. Thank you, Peter. Please shoot me an email and tell me who you are, where you are, and how and why you listen to the podcast. RichardSerrett1 at gmail.com. RichardSerrett1 at gmail.com. Here is a little taste of The Hour of the Time, William Cooper's shortwave radio program. Supposedly, a CNN reporter found Osama bin Laden took a television camera crew with him went into Osama bin Laden's hideout, interviewed him and his top leadership, and he came out and told everybody, within three weeks, Osama bin Laden is going to attack the United States and Israel. Now, don't you think that's kind of strange, folks? You see, because the largest intelligence apparatus in the world with the biggest budget in the history of the world has been looking for Osama bin Laden for years and years and years and can't find him. Some doofus jerk-off reporter with a camera crew bosses right into his hideout and interviews him. And I'm telling you, be prepared for a major attack. But it won't be Osama bin Laden It will be those behind the New World Order. I wonder what Osama bin Laden's targets are supposed to be. And if they don't 
you know, if this doesn't materialize in the next two or three weeks, it will eventually materialize because they haven't succeeded in getting the guns out of the hands of the American people, nor have they succeeded in taking our freedoms away. And so I can tell you with a certainty, they must do something terrible in order to stop this backlash and regain the sympathy of the mass herds of sheeple out there. Milton William Cooper was an American radio broadcaster and author best known for his 1991 book, Behold a Pale Horse. In the book, Cooper asserted that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated because he was about to reveal that extraterrestrials were in the process of taking over the Earth. Cooper described the Illuminati as a secret international organization controlled by the Bilderberg Group that conspired with the Knights of Columbus, Masons, Skull and Bones, and other organizations. Its ultimate goal, he said, was the establishment of a new world order. As Cooper moved away from the ufology community and toward the anti-government subculture in the late 1990s, he became convinced that he was being personally targeted by President Bill Clinton and the Internal Revenue Service. In July 1998, he was charged with tax evasion. An arrest warrant was issued, but Cooper eluded repeated attempts to serve it. In 2000, he was named a major fugitive by the United States Marshal Service. On November 5th, 2001, Apache County Sheriff's deputies attempted to arrest Cooper at his Arizona home on charges of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and endangerment stemming from disputes with local residents. After an exchange of gunfire during which Cooper shot one of the deputies in the head, he was fatally shot. Federal authorities reported that Cooper had spent years evading execution of the 1998 arrest warrant, and according to a spokesman with the Marshal Service, Cooper had vowed that he would not be taken alive. Mark Jacobson is a writer and journalist based in Brooklyn, New York. He's known for his explorations of the seamy side of urban life and his offbeat and witty take on pop culture. Mark is a contributing editor at New York Magazine and a frequent contributor to The Village Voice, National Geographic, Natural History Magazine, Men's Journal, and other publications. He's the author of American Gangster and Other Tales of New York. And his new one, is called Pale Horse Rider, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy and the Fall of Trust in America. Mark Jacobson, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here, Richard. William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy and the Fall of Trust in America. Pale Horse Rider, great title, Pale Horse Rider. Um, I was reading a review on Esquire, in Esquire magazine, and uh, the, the headline, Milton William Cooper was the godfather of fake news. Before we get into who Bill Cooper was, just let me get your, sort of your visceral reaction to that headline. Milton Cooper, the godfather of fake news. Well, you know, I've been a journalist for going on 45 years now and I've always hated the headline writers <laughs> yeah <laughs> nobody seems to understand you know that the writer doesn't write the headline no I don't care for that headline at all um, I don't feel that this what Bill Cooper was doing and what people are calling fake news now have really nothing to do with each other all right, so let's get into um, Milton William Cooper. Uh, let's start with, I mean, we don't know a lot, or do we, about, for example, his, his, uh, his military record, his military background. Uh, he, he served in the Navy, uh, I think he well, said he- served he, in the Air Force first. Right. What about yeah, naval was, intelligence? Was he? Well, I mean, uh, the naval intelligence thing, of course, is very controversial because Cooper made some, you know, some, really kind of like uh, 
far-reaching claims about what he saw when he was working in naval intelligence, and it seemed to um, these change these claims seem to change quite often, and um, and also the idea that he would be. Uh, that he was, <laughs> I mean, he said he said all kinds of stuff that he had seen in the, in the records when he was in um, in um, naval intelligence, including the fact that William Greer, the Secret Service agent who was driving the car um, at in, in November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, shot President Kennedy. Just turned around and shot him, but uh, Cooper was claiming that he had seen this while in naval intelligence. I, I don't really know if that would be in a kind of naval intelligence catch that Cooper might have actually seen. On the other hand, um, you know, he made a lot of claims about that, and I'm sure that he was in naval intelligence, and I'm, most of the people that are familiar with him believe that he did see some stuff. Right, right. And and uh, how did he how did he first get into to radio? Um, well, he, into radio... Uh, he, he, he was a book writer at first. He wrote that Behold a Pale Horse. And he was on uh, he was on the lecture circuit, for the most part, and going around and uh, doing his thing. And it was only until... He, he appeared on the scene in the UFO world in 1988, and his radio show began in 1991. So... Um, you know, he was around for a little bit, but the, the radio show, his radio, no, the, the radio show began really in 1992, and then finally he got on the air in WWCR, which is uh, Worldwide Country, uh, was Worldwide Country Radio, and then it became Worldwide Christian Radio, and this was the this was the place to be if you wanted to be on shortwave radio because they had the biggest transmitter, and Cooper's real, the list of Cooper's broadcasts, which are available on the Hour of the Time website, mm -hmm. all 1,900 and 1,926 of them, including the repeats, um, which is a long way to go if you want to research William Cooper, um, because some of them were two and three hours long. <laughs> right, right. So, um, you know, it's, it's um, he's, he's a, he became a radio guy, and actually that was really his real true MTA, I think. I yes, think he was yes. much more effective on the radio. His book is incredibly famous, and I mean, I don't know, people know much about Bill Cooper and the Behold the Pale Horse, but Behold the Pale Horse was published in 1991 with a 3,000 hardcover run and five, it was 3,000 paperback and 500 hardcover. The book has sold over 300,000 copies by now, which is kind of an amazing publishing story since the publisher of it. It's never changed. It's always remained the same. There's no second editions or third editions or updates. It's exactly as he wrote it, um, and it was published in 1991. Yet people continue to buy it. And um, just as a small background about the book, I mean, the uh, book didn't really take off in the beginning, but actually um, the people that were reading it, for the most part, in the early part of the career of Bill Cooper, were um, rappers, um, right, people right. in the hip-hop world. And they picked it up for, I can go and explain it all for you, but it would take a while. Well, Tupac, um, Tupac was a fan. Tupac's a fan. And he was and an avid the, reader. I mean, that, he was an educated fellow, Tupac. I mean, he, oh, well, he loved was, to he read. Was, yes, he was a big reader. And his mother, 
you know, he, they were they were part of this kind of radical black thing. Um, his mother was a Sada Shakur, I think. I can't remember her real first name. Um, but you know, they were they were part of this kind of intelligentsia type thing in the black community. And um, well, you know, the the uh, the first person I ever saw reading the book was um, from the Wu Tang Clan. Uh, Old dirty bastard. Everybody knows who he is. Right, right. Um, and uh, he was—I was just happened to walk down the street sometime in 1992, not too far from my house, where I live in Brooklyn, and I knew who he was um, just because I was a music critic for Esquire at the time. <laughs> and um, and I see him reading *Behold a Pale Horse*, which I wasn't really sure exactly what it was at the time. And um, I remembered that, and then years later. Um, I talked to him about it, and I said, do you remember a time that you were reading Behold a Pale Horse? He said, oh, yeah, Behold a Pale Horse was a very important book to me. And this is the time, this is only a few months before his death when I actually interviewed him formally. And I asked him, like, well, what do you think uh, about the book? And he said, well, you know, in this world, people are always trying to screw you. And Bill Cooper is the guy who tells you how, who it is that's trying to screw you. And he also said, like, well, when you're somebody like me, that's very valuable information. So, you know, and Cooper's book was um, the most read book in the prison system. Oh, is that Along right? Another, Interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, there's another book called uh, 48 Laws of Power by a guy named Robert Greene. And between... Uh, those two books, almost every prisoner in, like, say, Attica, New York State prison system, read read this book, read Cooper's book. And that's kind of how we crossed over into the rap world. Interesting. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal, but if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. If you were reviewing that book, you mentioned Esquire, if you were reviewing uh, that book for, or Behold a a Pale Horse for Esquire, I mean, how would you describe it? Because it's so, I mean, it talks about the coming ice age. Are you talking about reviewing it in 1991 (laughs) or reviewing it today? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's say you were reviewing it in 1991. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's one of these, it's a puzzling book in the sense that most of this stuff is not really written by him. It's written by, it's written, it's written kind of by, uh, you know, he picks up a lot of documents, including 
some really kind of startling documents like uh, um, the Silent Weapons Require Wars, which is probably the most important document in the whole book when it comes down to what what later becomes the truth movement and things like that. Um, and it's really kind of a sort of a masterpiece of, of like explaining the way the economic system works from the point of view of uh, somebody who would be feeling that uh, people are out to get them, um, which they clearly are, I would say. <laughs> you right, know? Right. And um, and then, of course, he had other other things in there, like the full text of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is a very controversial move at any point yes, yes. in the 20th century. And um, and Bill Cooper, I, I really buy his story that he ran that whole thing to show what a document that was set out to scapegoat a certain kind of bunch of people. Right, that's important because I wanted, you know, when people hear that, the flags go up and they go, oh, he was an anti-Semite, but quite the opposite. He told people, no, don't use the word Zion, it's Scion. Well, I think that people tend to, most people are not really aware of uh, Cooper's mindset, tend to mock that kind of comment. But I personally, uh, you know, I, t- I, take it, I take it as a word because... You know, he believes that every time he says the word Jew, you're supposed to read it as Illuminati. Yes, yes. Like, and, you know, and you can, you can, the Illuminati has got several definitions. I mean, people have all, you mentioned that word and, you know, people, and so what do you think of me, what the Illuminati means? And then, you know, you won't get the same exact answer from anybody. It's basically, you know, this cabal of, of the uber people that are controlling the universe for one reason or another. And um, so Cooper, he's playing a little fast and loose with that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, you have to understand that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which for people who don't know, is you know this long thing, which is supposedly a, a found document of, of, the, of these people, that, uh, the ancient rabbis, talking about how they're going to take over the world and, and control the money and everything like that. And uh, Cooper's position was that this this document could work for anybody. That's why you can put those different names in there. Um, it's just a document to to scapegoat certain people, certain people. And it's it's ludicrous to think that it was really a Jewish document because it's been fairly much proven. Exactly. Exactly. Ludicru- ludicrous is not the right word. I mean, but it, it's. Most most scholars, you know, honest scholars, I'm sure there are people that believe that everybody's a liar, but, you know, I don't personally believe that, <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, so, um, you know, it, it, it makes sense that they would make... He published it because it's a model of, of, the, of the best possible version of one of these documents. And, in fact, most of the documents that have been written, these kind of forgery documents, have taken that form and followed the, the template of that document. So in that way, he was, I think he was correct to run it, just because you have this kind of thing which is like a pariah document. You're not even supposed to mention it because um, this is like somehow anti-Semitic to even think about it. But I, I feel that he did a brave thing in a kind of weird way um, to publish the whole thing. Right. Do you think he, I mean, this term is overused, but the the idea of jumping the shark and to, you know, the idea of Eisenhower meeting with the aliens and so forth. Well, you know, I mean, you gotta think about a guy, um, during his, he said a lot, I, I would say that his, his veracity quotient went up as he went along. Um, his flying saucer period was, had the most, wacky stuff in it, no doubt about it. And um, he was mostly following the uh, 
the the plan is set out by John Lear. If people in your audience know who that is, yes. he's the son of the uh, inventor of the Learjet and also the founder of Motorola, which people don't really seem mm. to know very much about. But, um, you know, William Lear, that's him. But I spoke to John Lear at length, and I love talking to John Lear. He's a wonderful guy. And, um, you know, his attitude is sort of like, I said it was a hypothesis. I didn't say it was true. It was only <laughs> Bill Cooper that said it was true. Because <laughs> right. right. Lear, tell, Lear tells a story about he wrote the alien hypothesis, which is the kind of base document which actually was later adopted by Chris Carter who is the guy behind X-Files right. and he basically takes that point of view and goes with it which, and I think it was a brilliant entertainment move because it's a great idea that you know one of the things in there is that Eisenhower met with Cooper's version is somewhat different, but the basic idea is that Eisenhower met with the aliens from outer space to make a deal. This was supposedly at Edwards Air Force Base in 1954. And they sit down, you know, Cooper, I mean, Eisenhower and, and this big alien, you know, this nine-foot-tall alien, sit down and they, have this, and they talk turkey. And what Eisenhower wants is enough technology to stay ahead of the Russians the things that became later the B-2 bomber and all the stealth technology is supposed to be alien technology. And the um, what, what the aliens want is to get their people, their alien people that have been crashed, and, and the United States is holding them prisoner or you know, captive. And they also want to be able to abduct American citizens to do certain experiments on them. And um, Eisenhower signs off on that. So... <laughs> So, you know, right there in that little, uh, the little one afternoon uh, thing, you get like a huge amount of American mythos that that continues on to this day. And um, it's very difficult to tell people that feel they've been abducted by aliens. That's like, well, that's not possible. <laughs> you know, you know that that they didn't see what they saw. And in fact, when you go back and look at the development of American conspiracy movement. Um, which I basically, you know, I don't, I'm not against it, or I, I'm, I'm kind of neutral about it. You know, I just think it, it just exists, you know, and I don't take a political stance on it. But um, the UFO thing was the first time that a large percentage of the people in the world, you know, and this country in particular, believed that they were seeing something and the government was telling them, no, it's actually not happening. So it's that was the beginning of the... Of the of the undercutting of trust for for organizations like NASA or the Air Force or something like that because you know you know what you saw you know what you saw and now some guy from the FBI is coming along and telling you you didn't see what you saw so I mean whether or not you you what you saw is hard to to um, you know it could have been swamp gas but it looked like a UFO so if somebody's telling you that it doesn't exist and you're you're kind of like need to go to a psychiatrist this is the beginning of really kind of like uh, the rooting of things where people beginning to feel that like I'm not going to trust these guys I don't think that they're telling me the truth and um, it goes on from there and for Bill Cooper the main the main moment is really the Vietnam War because when Cooper goes is in the before he was in the Air Force for several years, he um, you know actually worked on nuclear bombs, a bombs, and um, which got him in position to look at the apocalypse square in the face. Um, and then 
when he's working, when he moves on to Navy, to, he joins the Navy after getting out of the Air Force. And then uh, his, his goal at one time was to serve in every single uh, branch of the armed forces. But the Navy, he went in the Navy, and then he wanted to get transferred to the front lines of Vietnam, and they granted his wish, and he became a patrol boat captain on the uh, Quaviet River, which is very close to the DMZ. So the NVA, people remember, the, the North Vietnamese Army, uh, lobbing these one two two millimeter rockets across the river. It's a terrifying situation, and Cooper's out there on the boat trying to save his men, at least according to him. And I have no reason not to believe it. So, um, and he is, uh, so at that point, he begins to look at this. He's a gung-ho guy from a military family, and he's beginning to dawn on him that the stuff that they told him about why he was over there, which was to fight for freedom and against communism, all that kind of stuff like that, was not exactly accurate. In fact, the Americans... But so not were not the good guys. Maybe they were the bad guys. Then the Vietnamese were just fighting to protect their homeland. At least that's what Bill Cooper wound up thinking, and he's very clear about that. And it's not like you know I'm not putting words in his mouth. But, uh, and um, at that point, you're starting. To, you're beginning to feel that. Um, well, you know, and this is just not right. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm, this is not the way it's supposed to go. I'm supposed to be over here defending the Constitution and, and doing the right thing, but I'm not. And um, and then when he goes to naval intelligence, he's uh, he starts reading these documents which are direct direct conflict to what he knows is actually going on because he's reading the the, um, the classified documents that come into the Admiral Cleary. He's working for a guy named Admiral Cleary. Um, the, the documents are coming into his office, and he's supposed to triage them out and show the, the brass, the stuff they need to see. So he's seeing it all, and he's seeing that the stuff that, Rich, that President Nixon is saying on the radio is not accurate. So he begins, when he gets out of the Army, gets out of the Air, I mean the Navy, he comes back to the States, and he's sort of like completely confused. And he's beginning to find, that's when he begins to look for his path about trying to find what he considers to be the truth. Hey, if you're a fan of Conspiracy Unlimited, check out my weekly radio show, The Conspiracy Show. It airs Sunday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anywhere in the world by downloading my free Conspiracy Show app. For more information, go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. You can also stream the radio program on my YouTube channel, The Conspiracy Show. Please hit that red sub button. The Conspiracy Show, Sunday nights at 11 p.m. Check it out on YouTube. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Author Mark Jacobson is here talking about William Cooper. What was he like as a, as a as just as a normal human being? Well, I mean, that's really the most interesting part of the book to me and I really spent a lot of time talking about that because I think Cooper was a kind of guy who was like really trying to do the right thing but he had a lot of demons you know he believed that uh, he was a big drinker no doubt about that I mean you know he tries to make 
tries to make a big case that he wasn't a big drinker, but I've got so many people telling me that he was drunk off his ass um, so many times that I can't really discount that. So, um, and you can tell on the radio he's pretty plastered some of the time. So, um, in any event, he, he I took a two of his ex-wives, both of which had the same story, that he was a... He was the most charming guy in the world, and he swept them off their their feet. And uh, and by the time they been married to him for a while, he became a very belligerent drunk and an abusive husband, and deserted them and deserted their children. You know, he's, he had he has three children before the famous children, which you people know about from listening to the radio show, and he more or less deserted all three of them. And um, it's not it's 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 a kind of a brutal indictment of his character but then by the time he remarries again now he's really trying to become a actually trying to become a good person and in a sense of like you know his ideal of that american person from the 1950s that american dream person like the kind of person you would see on a sitcom and uh you know say kind of standard good dad and he, I think he really achieves that I mean he, you can tell that he loves his children the ones that he talks about on the radio and they love him and um, and it just didn't end very well you know long before the shootout which winds up killing him but um, it, it's just it's just his, his story was just fantastically interesting to me because he just seemed like this kind of classic American figure from the last third of the 20th century as somebody who was like uh, trying to be a good person, but like was up against all these different, you know, enemies—some real, some some imagined, some real, some half real. You know, I mean, you know, it's not—it's not that um, he wasn't compass messes all the time. You know, he says a lot of strange things, but he says a lot of brilliant things too. He was a brilliant guy in a lot of ways, and I, I, some of the things that he said I find to be as intelligent and kind of insightful as anything I've read from any famous professor like Frederick Jameson or any of these kind of people who are supposed to be such great, great thinkers. Is there something I mean, that Bill he Cooper said, was a very smart guy. Is there something that stands out in your mind that's something that Bill Cooper offered up that you thought, wow, that's profound beyond words? Well, I mean, I think, for instance, um, this might sound a little crazy, but um, I think his ability to see through metaphors which he calls symbology. He's the only person I've ever heard use that word. I think he means symbolism. But um, the uh, to pick out the beginning sequence of 2001, that movie, yes. the Stanley Kubrick film. With the obelisk, yeah. Yeah, with the obelisk in it. And, uh, you know, it, and it's a monolith in the movie. And to say that that really is a metaphor or a retelling of the Garden of Eden story in which Adam and Eve are not supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this big monolith comes down and the and the, you know, almost men, the apes that are there, I don't know exactly what species they might be, you know, they're they're on the edge of becoming a, a human. So and then when the thing comes down and they touch the they touch the monolith, then suddenly human consciousness begins and he's very clear about that and I thought it was kind of a brilliant idea that like to take a to take a movie that was made in 1968 and then uh, reinterpret it to um, 
kind of update this this classic story that everybody knows and believes, you know, to some level. So, right. um, you know, and uh, and I just felt that, that was interesting. And also, that's the first episode of his uh, of his uh, Mystery Babylon series, which is a forty three episode thing that. Right, right. Uh, since you mentioned Space Odyssey and, and Kubrick, uh, what was Cooper's take on the, the the moon landing? Did he think it was a hoax, and did he think Kubrick had a hand in it? Well, the Kubrick, the, the, the Kubrick fake the moon landing meme—that's a pretty recent idea that's been um, that's been advanced by certain people after Bill Cooper was dead. Uh, you know, it's a recent one. I mean, uh, I don't, he picked that one up, but he never made much of a deal about it because I don't think he really, his heart was not in that one. You know, all conspiracy theories are not, I would say to your audience that all conspiracies are not created equal. Right, (laughs) right. Some are better than others. Certainly. Some are actually, um, you know, you feel when you're growing up in the 20th century, I'm 70 years old, I mean, I've seen basically the American history. I've lived American history since the end of World War II. I mean, I've been alive. So, um, and I would say that since most of what America is supposed to all be about um, in the post, in the Cold War period was basically created by the Dulles Boys and um, guys like John McCloy. John McCloy was the head of the CIA. He was the head of the World Bank. He was the head of the Chase Manhattan Bank. He sat he with Hitler of, during the '36 Olympics in Berlin. He sat in the the. the yeah, uh, no, he's a, yeah, so you know, you know, he he's a he's a he's the guy that was that or, that organized the Japanese people being interned in the in the concentration camps in World War II, which you know I can see why they might be nervous about that. But these were American citizens, hmm. and um, and also John McCloy is the guy who is fundamental in ref- in making the army not and the air army air force at the time before the air force was created he stood in the way of bombing the railway line, railway um to auschwitz which so in other words you know the the trains that brought the prisoners in that was to then be killed by the right. nazis right. so this is the guy john mccloy so he is considered to be one of the wise men in that famous book by walter isaacson which is one of cooper's major sources mm. he's always talking about that book and um so between a guy like john mccloy you know head of the cfr set of head of the trilateralist commission i would say i would buy a used car from bill cooper before i buy one from john <laughs> mccloy i mean <laughs> you know so i mean if we're thinking about creating narrative which i think is what conspiracy is all about you know i mean why would i necessarily believe what what those guys said why would i believe what richard nixon said why would i believe what lyndon johnson said when when i, I this stuff doesn't jibe with my personal experience, and it doesn't jibe with the, with the things that I that I happen to, you know, stuff I read. I just do a Bill Cooper thing. I do my own research, and I make up my mind for myself. But um, you know, it's just. And I think that that's what's interesting about the Cooper story because he's in that mix. He's in that mix of all that stuff. And he does it all before the beginning of the internet. He does it all before right. 2000. And modern conspiracy, to my mind, begins with 9-11. Yes. You know, that, that's the beginning of the, of the kind of conspiracy movements that we 
are familiar with that people talk about all the time and the liberals hate them and you know i don't know you know it's like to be a conspiracy theorist is one of the worst things you could possibly be you know it's the worst put down in the world you know but i feel i feel that this is like stupid you know it just it just doesn't first of all some of this stuff is uh yeah you're familiar with a guy named ken thomas yes yes yeah so ken thomas and jim keith were big bill cooper fans and um Ken Thomas invented the word parapolitics. So he didn't like the word conspiracy. He liked the word parapolitics. In other words, um, this is a, what could happen. This is like, you know, a, a, an adjunct adjunct to history. You know, can you see it happening this way? Since, like, we, how many times do we have to, the historians have to be proved to be incorrect or pushing their own, you know, sharpening their own acts, you know, or, you know, to, to uh, make you feel that, well, this isn't really set in stone here. There, they could have happened another way. So when you when you come up with a decent conspiracy theory, which I think is, uh, you know, there's a lot of them around that are really kind of like have a lot of resonance to them. I, I've always I, said... I, I particularly don't think the moon one is one of them. I'm with you. No, no. I, I agree. <laughs> but I mean, you know what it is about that kind of stuff? I think that that really is an attack on the human on, on the human brain. Well, the other thing I mean, it, the it idea does, that you couldn't think of how to get to the moon, right. you know, it just seems to be an insult. I agree. I agree. But I love hearing. I, I love, uh, and I've had people on the program, uh, various programs, debating it. I think it's an interesting debate. However, uh, what it allows uh, the mainstream media and others to do, and uh, our friend over there at Esquire magazine who wrote the review, to conflate. So whenever you want to sit down and talk about. Uh, a, a conspiracy, then of course they bring up the they conflate the uh, the lunar landing hoax with Bigfoot and whatever you want it, whatever you're there to talk about, and of course you're dismissed and discredited before you get out of the gate. That's a good thing. I agree with you completely. <laughs> well, I, I've always said that you know to believe that everything is a conspiracy is about as useful as saying that nothing is a conspiracy. Um, but I, there is. I think the the uh, um, the writer at Esquire made one maybe legitimate, interesting point. I want to get your take on that, and that the idea that Cooper really provided the ideology for the right wing militia, which led to Timothy McVeigh, which led to the Oklahoma bombings. What, how do you, what do you think of that? Well, I don't think that, that Bill Cooper didn't have anything to do with that. I mean, what happened. This, the Oklahoma bombing, whatever, whatever you think happened there, I mean, you know, the school of thought that says that Timothy McVeigh was not the, if he did it, he was a robot, a zombie, you know. I could see that happening. I mean, I've seen the Manchurian Candidate like everybody else. And it's one of the great movies of all time, as far as I'm concerned. I'm talking about the first one. Even a better book. One. Even a better, yeah, Richard Condon's book. The book, book is great, too. Richard yes, Condon yes, is a yes. genius, man, you know. Uh, Richard Condon writes the oh, writes the forward for um, that book about uh, mind control by that guy. What was his name? Walter Bowert. You ever familiar with that book? No, no. It's very interesting. Very interesting well, The book. thing that Condon uh, said that stuck out to me was, I think it was Condon, that you imagine your worst nightmare uh, about some some situation and, and the truth is probably, you can guarantee the truth is probably far worse. <laughs> well, yes, I, I would say that if it's... Um, when you're in this, when you're in this zone of uh, mind control and uh, you're trying to change people's minds, you know, and this goes back to uh, you can go, through, 
you can go through a whole long history of this. One of the things about William Cooper, which I found to be very interesting, was that he hated this guy, John B. Watson. Do you know, do you know who John B. Watson is? No, no. John B. It's a fact. He's a, you should look him up. He's a fascinating figure. He's the founder of behavioral psychology. B.F. Skinner got uh-huh. everything, everything that B.F. Skinner ever said, he more or less got from John B. Watson. And John B. Watson is famous for one thing. He um, He's famous for several things. But, uh, I mean, he's not famous enough that anybody knows who he is, but <laughs> to me, he's famous for one thing. He took a he took a small child from an orphanage. He was the head of the psychology department at Johns Hopkins. He wasn't the nobody. Um, and this is back in the very beginning of the 20th century when the psychology, the idea of the study of the human mind, became something that became critical. You know, because... Democracy brought on the uh, idea that everybody could, could think for themselves. You know, they, it was, they weren't just serfs anymore. Now they're going to be consumers and, you know, all this kind of stuff that Americans walk around and think of that they are. And so Watson Watson uh, took a, a small child from an orphanage, they, who they call Little Albert, and uh, he basically conditioned, he felt that you can condition anybody to do anything. And he was a he was the ultimate believer in the in nature nurture debate. He was the he was the uh, ultimate believer in the nurture thing. You could take anybody and teach them anything and make them into anybody you want them to be. So because he was kind of a sadist, what he did was he got this little baby and put it and he put a white mouse into the crib. And every time the white mouse was in the crib his assistant would hit this really loud gong right behind the kid's ear. So the kid eventually became, uh, you know, a condition to be afraid of white mice because, um, because it was unpleasant to see them, you know, it was right. like, seemed like, so then he, then he got to the point where he was able to convince the kid that be afraid of everything that was furry. You know, it didn't have to be a mouse. It was just something furry. And then, was, then he convinced the kid to be afraid of everything that was white. And um, there's this famous picture, actually, I think it's probably you can find it on the internet, of John B. Watson wearing a Santa Claus mask and a kid going, ah! Oh, my <laughs> <You know>? gosh. <laughs> so it was like this horrifying thing. And he's not, you know, and, and can you guess what John B. Watson wound up being? In his late part of his career, I, I'm guessing something to do with MK Ultra. I don't know. <laughs> no, how about the vice president of the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency? Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> Interesting. Course, it's, it's, right? It was like uh, Freud's nephew. Um, oh, Bernays, yeah, Bernays, Bernays. Yeah, the, yeah he, they come together. They're yeah. they're they're a team, kind of. <laughs> so, right, right. I mean, these are the kind of things. But William Cooper is the kind of guy, like you know, he doesn't just look on the end. You know, he doesn't. He's not somebody like the. The kind of people that, that the annoying thing about conspiracy and truthers of today is that like they don't do their own research, <laughs> they don't. They just like parrot parrot back a lot of this kind of stuff that they read on the internet. Right, and, like, you know, it's a cut it, and paste little, generation. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, you can call it that. I would disagree. I mean, I just feel that like this is frustrating, you know, because there's a lot of interesting material here that could be looked at, and you can actually come up with some interesting things. I mean, if the truth is something that, like, all of a sudden you read the internet and everybody believes the same thing, that can't be the truth. <laughs> it's right. not possible. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's just, and, but Cooper wasn't like that. I think his followers, a lot of his followers, you know, which there are many, um, were never really 
understood the world the way Bill Cooper did because they don't have any sense of humor, which is a drag, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. And I think Bill Cooper had a fantastic sense of humor. You know, he a lot of the stuff that he came up with was clearly some kind of like weird practical joke. I mean, the idea that they were going to shoot a rocket the Galileo project and it was going to shoot it and it was going to smash into Jupiter and then it was going to blow up and create a new star that had already been named Lucifer. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is a great story, but I mean, it's not exactly a, a serious theory. <laughs> you know, I think he did it as a, as a kind of prank. Right. Which Maybe a, a lot of conspiracy people have pranks in them, you know? You know, it's part of the being of the, he's sort of a half a Banksy kind of guy. Was he and, dangerous? Uh, was he dangerous? Well, I think he's only dangerous in the sense that he was dangerous to himself because, um, you know, he, at a certain point, from all my reporting and people I'm talking to, people actually knew him, not necessarily taking everything he said as face value from his the stuff he said on the radio, um, was that he, at a certain point, decided that he was going to become a martyr and he was going to duke it out with the feds, hopefully, and they were going to come up and, you know, he was he was going to shoot it out with them on some level. He was planning on doing this. And he did the best he could to set it up, but the feds wouldn't come up there and, and, and shoot at them because they already lived through Waco and Ruby Ridge and right. stuff like that when they clearly murdered those people, you know. I mean, it was like, it's not even a... I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think it'd be hard-pressed to convince me that the federal government doesn't have blood on their hands for those two incidents. And then the the McVeigh thing, as we to get back to that, um, I mean, that wasn't about Bill Cooper, even though Timothy McVeigh would listen to Bill Cooper's show. There's no doubt about it. And according to Cooper, he actually came and visited him before the before the Oklahoma City bombing. And there's a long thing about it in my book, which you can read. Um, and in fact, the FBI came in and, and, and interviewed Cooper after the bombing to find, because they had heard that, that McVeigh had come to visit him. And, um, you know, but McVeigh wasn't, Cooper didn't convince McVeigh to blow up the thing. He was, he was mad about Waco. He was mad about Waco and he was mad about a lot of the things that people are still mad about. And um, he, but he was trained as a soldier, so he saw the whole thing as a big, the beginning of some kind of civil war or something like that. And, um, you know, that's why he said, and he says it to Ed Bradley, he can find the tape. And Bradley is, you know, the 60 Minutes guy. He asked him, like, why did you do this with his kids in the building? And he said, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a target. You know, I wanted to inflict as much damage as possible. You know, and that was the reason why we did it. That's why I did it. And, you know, I don't, he, he never mentions, I don't know if he mentions Terry Nichols and those kind of guys in that kind of testimony or not. But, you know, that's what he said later on. It was a target and he wanted the most, you know, the, the one that caused the most damage. Was, was Cooper being targeted uh, by Clinton and the IRS because of his broadcasts? I don't know. I, I really don't know the answer to that question. I know that Clinton had said that famous thing about how Bill Cooper was the most dangerous radio host in the in the country, and that I've never seen that actually written down. I mean, the only way that people know about it is because Rush Limbaugh said it on the on the air, and um, it. But it's you know, I'm I'm willing to believe it. <laughs> so 
I mean, there's certain things when you read this kind of material, you go like, well, I'm not going to believe that. I mean, that's just too far-fetched. Or then there's this whole bunch of stuff which comes in the middle, you know, which is like, you know, well, could be, could not be, you know. And then at a certain point, you know, you're going to go, you're trying to write a book about a guy, right, Bill Cooper. So, um, and you're trying to get the mood of who the guy is and what he did and what he cared about. And, and you're trying to make it, and I don't personally like to write about people I don't like. I find that almost impossible. Like I never would, when I was a music critic or another time I was a movie critic, I never I never wrote about the movies or music that I didn't like because it didn't make any sense. I mean, if I didn't want to, I just didn't write about it. I mean, only wrote about the ones I like. <laughs> So right, right. I, I have a hard time, you know, hatcheting people. I don't, I don't believe in that. You know, I just leave it alone. If it's, so, you know, if I spent, um, that's the longest book I ever wrote. I've written several books. I mean, you know, and um, it took a long time, and it was very kind of difficult to do. I would never write about a guy that I didn't have some feelings for, um, as as a, an admirable enough figure, at least in the fact that his goals were admirable. I consider Bill Cooper to be an American seeker. Do you think though it is, and I, and I say this as someone who, you know, who is in that arena, the, you know, conspiracy arena, do you think it has gone too far the other way? So this distrust of institutions and so forth, is that a dangerous thing? I think it's a terrible, I mean, it's, it's a potentially disastrous thing, especially for this country. I mean, just look at the way the Kavanaugh thing went down. I mean, um, you know, if you, were, if you were really a believer in what most conspiracy people like Bill Cooper would believe in, which is divide and conquer, you know, you know what I'm talking about, yes, right? Yes, yes. So, so, like, you know, what, what makes people think that this isn't, if you're somebody who believes that the power structure is, the real power structure is set up, to, to set everybody else up against each other so they don't even notice that, that, that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, which is the basic scenario of the way things are going. Um, uh, it, it's sort of like if you get people to be all bent out of shape about something like Judge Kavanaugh, um, you know, if I'm a Democrat, I'm running, a, suppose I'm a Democrat, right? I feel like the best, my best issue is health care. You know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to say, look, these guys are trying to take away your health care. You know, don't vote for them. So, um, and, or like the Republicans, the, the sort of normal Republicans, you know, not the, not the people who are like trying to stir shit up all the time, excuse me. Um, the, um, you know, there's, there's reasonable arguments to be had that people could possibly, you know, sit down at the same table and work them out, you know, but not in this climate, not in this climate, because you've got these people are constantly at loggerheads, you know, they're, they're you know, and so like, why would you, um, so to me, the Kavanaugh thing was just a, a, a big, another one of these circuses, you know, another, just like Kavanaugh said it was, it was a circus. Right, right. Not necessarily for the reasons that he said, but I mean, I think it was just another one of these massive distractions to another episode in the, in the great soap opera of America. And um, this is not very helpful. You know, it's not very useful. What do you think Bill so, Cooper, I mean, this is, you know, wildly speculative, of course, but 
Everything is silent. <laughs> yes, that's true. But Bill Cooper, if he were around today and he had all of these toys, he had social media, he had Twitter, he had the internet, he had YouTube. Um, you know, I'm assuming that he wouldn't be bounced off in a, in a hurry. But what do you think he'd be doing right now? What do you think he would? Well, m- well Prince is like a guy like Bill Cooper. I mean, I think it. If Bill Cooper existed now, he'd just be another one of these guys, these blogger guys. The fact, the reason why Bill Cooper became somebody who really mattered, and still matters in some respects, in many respects, I think, um, is because he occurred when he did. Before the, you know, the internet was in existence, but it was before broadband, and all those kind of things, and and he was still kind of a creature of the old media. And I think that was important because, and but if he was around now, what would what, is your question sort of like you know what would Bill Cooper think of Donald Trump or something like that? No, just I guess how how he would operate today, how he would be perceived, how much power would he have, influence? Well, I don't know that he would have that much power or influence because um, there's just a you know then he'd be in competition with like all these other guys, you know, all these other people that are on the radio saying this kind of stuff. I mean, the fact that he came when he came, and, you know, Alex Jones is clearly, I mean, he'd, he'd be the, I don't think he'd be the first to admit it, but it's clear that he went to school on Bill Cooper. I mean, he was listening to Bill Cooper's broadcasts when he was growing up in Austin. And, um, you know, and in, in the beginning when they first began to talk, I mean, you know, Jones was very clear about that. They're like, you're my idol. You're my inspiration. And Cooper, you know, not being the most friendly guy, of course, hated Jones because he was in, he, he hated most of the people that were in competition with him, including Art Bell and these people like that. So he, anybody that he thought was in competition with him, he didn't like him, you know. So, um, well, you know, and um, that's just the way he was. But, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, that's a very good question and it's hard to tell because I think that I'm just so attached to his actual position in the real history to speculate about how what he would say now. See, I don't think he would go for Trump. Um, his feelings about the Constitution, which I take at face value, I mean, this guy, Trump, is, is too, um, you know, the, the power of the executive branch, which has been growing, you know, at least since the 1970s, um, you know, I, I don't think he would go for that. The idea of like, and the, and the, the dominion, the, the, the idea that the Congress is laughed at, he wouldn't like that either. I mean, he wants to see the government work as it was intended to work. The Constitution as it was originally written and made to work. I mean, he says that in his creed or something like that that he writes about in Behold the Pale Horse. And I think that he'd be very dismayed by the way things are going now. I don't think he'd be happy. And um, because he believes in America. I mean, the thing about Bill Cooper, which is really the bottom line for him, is he believes in human freedom, like the best sense of him. He believes in the idea of individual freedom. That's the classic American thing to believe in. That's what you want out of being an American. You want to be able to get along with your neighbor, but you don't want anybody stepping on your rights. And... um, I think that uh, he would be a little dismayed about what's going on here. But um, that's just my opinion. Pale Horse Rider, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy and the Fall of Trust in America. Thank you for spending some time with me. More than happy to do it. 
Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's coming up on the next episode of Conspiracy Unlimited. He was going to do it his way. The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. If he wasn't going to get off the grog, which he wasn't, it was probably going to kill him. Lennon, Hendrix, Presley, Jim Morrison, the truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow your mind. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Serrett. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Westwood One Podcast app. Next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, who is QAnon? Is he a Trump insider, part of the war against the deep state, or an elaborate hoax? Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.